Hello, friends, and welcome to In The Know, your 25-minute deep dive into the biggest topics impacting the workplace today. I'm JD from Exonify, and today we're talking about the most popular word in the workplace, skills. It feels like the entire world has been taken over by skills. You've got hard skills, soft skills, power skills, core skills, upskilling, reskilling, new skilling, skill marketplaces, skills ontology, skills platform, skills clouds, skills. So I'm interested to know in the chat, how often are you talking about skills in your day-to-day -day work? How often is that word coming up in everything that you're reading and the conversations you're having strategically with your peer group? Because for me, it's coming up like a hundred times a day. I'm either talking about or I'm reading about skills. At this point, I'm dreaming about skills. But what does all of this actually mean when it comes to making sure people and organizations have the skills they need to be successful now and into the future? And how is today's skills conversation different from the competency mapping conversation that HR and L&D have been having for decades? We're going to figure all of that out today, at least as much as we can do in 25 minutes, because we're hanging out with Danny Johnson from Red Thread Research, who's done the homework, has the receipts, and is here to help us figure out what skills really mean in today's workplace. But before we sync up with Danny, there's another oh so popular workplace trend I wanna take a look at as part of today's feature story. <coughs> Remote work, which I am clearly doing wrong because I've still never found myself immersed within a luxurious waterside setting as I do my job. Instead, I sit in this chair and I jump between an endless string of Zoom, Microsoft Teams, slash Google Meet, slash are you still using WebEx meetings? The benefit of remote work is clear. People waste less time commuting and gain time for their personal lives. They save money on food and gas, which is a super big deal to a lot of people. Plus, remote work increases the number of cat appearances in meetings by a reported 9,000%. So we have that going for us. People have proven that you can do great work whenever and wherever needed, and yet there is still this giant debate about the perfect number of days people should spend in the office. Even companies that pride themselves on thinking differently are reverting back towards old habits under the guise of improved collaboration. But how much office time is actually spent collaborating and building relationships as opposed to just trying to find a quiet spot to get some real work done? Plus, there are, there are plenty of thought leaders weighing in like you've got Malcolm Gladwell, who was recently quoted as saying, if you're just sitting in your pajamas in your bedroom, is that the work life you want to live? Well, Malcolm, I'm wearing sweatpants and a blazer sitting in my home office. Thank you very much. And it was way more than 10,000 hours ago that even you yourself referenced how little you're seen in the office. It's only natural to forget. The whole remote work conversation comes down to yet another battle of wills between management and employees. But it's not the will they, won't they of remote work that's really driving me up a wall. It's the people that aren't included in this conversation. Let's take a look at the results of this recent study from WFH, WFH Research that found that only 15% of U.S. workers are fully remote today. Another 30% work in a hybrid situation where at least some time is spent in the office. And both of those numbers are up over the past two years. 
But that also means that 55% of people, including most of the frontline workforce, are required to be on location every day. Look, there's clearly no right answer for everyone. Every company needs to make a decision regarding workplace rules and then deal with the consequences if people decide that they want something different. But what we really need to keep in mind is that going remote just isn't an option for everyone. If we're going to have a conversation about the future of the workplace, at least 55% of that conversation should focus on the 55% of people who don't have a choice about where they do their jobs. And that's a conversation I'd like to see a lot more of. And that is our feature story. Today's feature story was brought to you by Exonify Altitude. Exonify customers already set the standard of how frontline organizations can push the boundaries of workplace learning. With Altitude, they can also get rewarded for being so awesome. As an Altitude member, you earn frequent flyer miles by participating in Exonify activities and sharing your story with professional peers. Then redeem your miles for a variety of rewards, from retail gift cards and Exonify swag to branded coaches and custom team shirts. Head over to exonify.com altitude to learn more and sign up today. Now I'm super excited to welcome our in-the-know guest, Danny Johnson. Danny is the co-founder and principal analyst for Red Thread Research. She spent the majority of her career writing about, conducting research in, and consulting on human capital practices and technology. Before starting Red Thread, Danny led the learning and career research practice at Burson by Deloitte. And Danny, along with the rest of her Red Thread team, have a passion for questioning the status quo when it comes to people management practices. And like me, as you can see, Danny's also a remote employee. Danny Johnson, <laughs> you're in the know. How's it going? So good. Happy to be here, JD. Thanks for joining us on your vacation, no less. Sure thing. Commitment to the professional community. It's on, exactly why I'm here. Yes. On display with us today. So as mentioned, your team has spent lots of time researching the concept of skills, especially over the past year. And you even produced an entire podcast series called The Skills Obsession, which I highly recommend to anyone out there who's interested in this topic. And you had guests like Matthew Daniel from Guild Education, Greg Pryor from Workday, Rob Lauber, the former CLO of McDonald's. So, so many deep, deep insights that I want to dive into today. But before we go there, can you answer one very important question for me? What is a skill? No, no, I cannot answer that question. Um, as we were talking to all these leaders, and uh, Skills Obsession was one of the podcast series, but it became such a rich topic that we actually did two more uh, seasons as well. So Skills Obsession is the first one, then we did Skills Odyssey, then we did Skills Odyssey too. And in every single one of those, when we talked to the leaders, uh, pretty much every leader we talked to and asked that very question, that very simple question, they said, I'm not going to argue about this. It's a stupid discussion to have. Um, and I agree after talking to these 25 leaders or so, uh, we're arguing over skills, competencies, skills, competencies. We heard characteristics. We heard all of these different ways of describing what it is. They, they said, it's a stupid discussion. And what I want to say about skills is that it's the way that we define somebody's ability to do a piece of work. That's it. So it's, you made it both potentially complex and simplified it simultaneously in that answer. That's my job pretty much I'm as it. a researcher. I'm liking it. So, so if we take <laughs> that kind of definition, person's a, you know, capability to do their job, and we apply it to this concept of a skill-based approach. Okay, let me clarify though, because you said capability to do some, a job, and that is not what a skill is. A skill Ooh. is the capability to do a piece of work. Ah. That is very different. Those two things are very different. Gotcha. Let's dive into that for real, real okay. quick. So what's the difference? 
The difference is um, when you think about skills, you get down to a granular level that you don't necessarily get to when you're thinking about a job. So if I think about, am I qualified to be a researcher? There are all these skills that line up that qualify me to be a researcher. Whereas if I say, am I qualified to run some statistical analysis, then it's a completely different, more narrow set of skills. Gotcha. So how is this conversation different than the conversations organizations have been having in the past and how they've been approaching enabling their people and defining the concept of work? Yeah. Um, I think it goes down to, it comes down to this 100 and probably 50 year tendency to organize work around the people structure that you already have in your organization. So we have an org chart and technically, you know, on its very simplest level, work should flow from one person to the next person who does a little bit more to the next person. So when some piece of work comes into the organization, whatever it is, it follows that path through the organization. And so people have to be qualified for the, the thing, the job that they have. When you switch to a more of a skills mindset, that can be thrown out the window and you can think of all kinds of new creative ways to get the same kind of work done. So if you think about um, creative agencies, for example, or professional services firms, they've been doing this for a while. They organize people around the work, not necessarily work around the people structure that's already in place. And skills, and especially in the last few years, we've seen tremendous uh, growth and development in the ability to quantify skills or at least identify skills. And once you can identify skills, you can break down the work into the types of skills needed to do that type of work, which means you can rearrange how work is done in organizations, which can be more effective, more efficient, and frankly, better for the, the individuals that work for you. So when it comes to the reason that organizations seem so enamored with this conversation and trying to figure out what skills are, are those the primary benefits they're looking for in terms of efficiency and agility as organizations? I think that's that those are some of them. Those are good for the organization. We've also seen that skills uh, resonate with employees. So if I understand the skills that I need to develop to take my career in a certain direction, it's much more sort of, you can, you can sink your teeth into that. Whereas if you're thinking about, I want to move from marketing to finance, it's a completely big, huge rock that requires university degrees. You know what I mean? So if you can break it down and talk about the steps that that person is going to take in their career in order to develop the skills to take that career exactly where they want, it's a completely dis different discussion and one that's a little bit more palatable to, to our employees. All right. So as some, some people out there might be saying, this is this conversation is providing great clarity. Some people may be saying, this is as clear as mud. That's how <laughs> I felt. That's how I continually feel when I think about skills. <laughs> so what, I, what I'd like to do is try to help everyone out there watching get a bit, not necessarily a benchmark, but get kind of a sense of where's their exploration as compared to where the broader conversation and the types of organizations that you're talking to, where is everybody in figuring okay. out the skills thing? So, and I know a lot of times trying to figure out where you are versus maybe where you should be with a new and trendy topic like skills, it feels like you're just kind of running through traffic in Los Angeles trying not to get hit. So what I'd like to do is help people navigate their way through the skills traffic jam with a game I call red light, green light. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present you with a skills-related concept. And I want okay. you to tell me, is this concept right now, is it a green light? Meaning it's, it's well understood. It's something lots of organizations have figured out and they're applying, right? It's ready for application. Or is it a red light? Something that maybe still kind of buzzy, still super early, requires a lot more research and planning to really figure out what this means. Make sense? 
It sure does. I'm sensing that we're going to have some gridlock, though. So let's go. let's let's see how this 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 happens. It's an on theme conversation too. I like it. <laughs> All right. So our first concept, you already mentioned it a bit. Uh, I want to talk about skills measurement. So in your research, have you found that organizations are figuring out how to measure the skill of their workers? I am. I I have seen many organizations measure skills in many different ways. So I know that's incredibly helpful, but let me give maybe a little bit of, so I would say that is a red light Um, and a yellow light and a green light, depending on what company you're in. Um, But but what what we've seen is some really interesting things. Like three or four years ago, there was a really sort of intense conversation about um, ensuring that the people in your organization who say they have skills actually have those skills. You know what I mean? So it was all about, you know, they're going to lie to us and we need to make sure. Um, and that that causes all kinds of work inside the organization to determine whether or not they had skills. So some of it was like you could observe it. Some of it was um, assessments, all of these types of things to, to really figure out if the people in your organization have skills. We have seen that shift a little bit with some of the, the technology that's come out. So um, a lot of the technology providers that are focusing on skills are actually ahead of the organizations that they serve. And so they, they provide all kinds of things that you can do. And, and not very many of the organizations that we talked to are quite ready to, to sort of think about it or talk about it. But we're seeing things like um, skills clouds where you're using an ontology to say, well, if this person has this skill, then they likely have this skill too, based on the types of work that they've done or whatever. Or we're seeing um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is volume. <clears throat> so some organizations are tapping into things like Asana or Trello and saying, hey, this person has done this work this many times, therefore they likely have this skill or they're more proficient at this than somebody that may have, maybe have, doesn't do it quite as often. And so we're seeing these things along with the, the continued discussion on assessment and making an observation and making sure that those things happen that give me hope that we are on our way toward more of a holistic view of how we measure people rather than sticking to the tried and true thing that most L&D people think about, which is the assessment. That was a really long answer. What do you think? No, I like because completed training does not equal can do. Right? It never did. But I, I think hopefully we're entering a space where we now have the ability to overcome that, but still also have the confidence in our understanding of what people can and can't do so that we can yeah. operationalize <clears throat> it. Because I think, like you said, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this before we go to the next topic, um, is, is how do you make sure that people trust that data, especially when you operationalize it, let's say in a safety critical setting, right? Yeah. If you're going to schedule someone or assign someone a task with a piece of heavy equipment or something that's a safety critical type scenario, you have to know that the system telling you this person has is proven capable of doing this is real and not necessarily inferred. Yeah. So I think two things. I think inference can give us a really good idea of the skills that we think those people have. But as you mentioned, especially in safety or healthcare is another one. Uh, we need to know that those people can do those skills as an organization for you know legal reasons as well as for the safety of the, the people that we serve. Um, so, but I think inference can get us part of the way there. I think some of the other things that I'm I'm seeing is going to be able to scale some of that um, observation, for example. So. One example is a healthcare organization that taps into the, the medical coding system to determine you know, when, how many times somebody does a thing, like how many times somebody starts an IV, for example, to give them, a, you know, and what is the time between the times that they start that IV? So they have a really good sense of, you know, does this person do this on a regular basis? You know, how often do they do it? You know, how long between times do they do it? And then they have a really good sense of how skilled this person is with respect to that because of the repetition. 
So it's not necessarily somebody standing over the shoulder helping them, but it gives a sense for kind of what they're doing. That is an interesting, uh, that's an interesting example because in the medical field, you, for the first, you know, many times that you're doing it, you do have someone standing over your shoulder to make sure you don't kill patients. But I think a combination of all of those things kind of wrapped in with some of these techn technological advances that we're seeing is actually, I'm very optimistic when, when we're talking about measurement. Awesome. So you mentioned the second topic I want to talk about already. Okay. We can kind of dive into that. So the next one I want to look at is skills ontologies. Oh, so yeah. organizations investing in an ontology, a cloud to kind of inform their skills data, their skills strategy, red light, green light. And what are your thoughts? What are you seeing? I'm going to say red light because in general, organizations are still trying to figure this out. But again, we've seen some really interesting things here. So um, in the world of skills, there are two ways of looking at sort of the, the universe of skills that your organization is gonna think about. There's a taxonomy structure and there's an ontology structure. Taxonomy is basically like these roles have these skills and we organize stuff in this way in our organization. And ontology is much more, you know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, relational. Like this person has a skill and it is able to gather information from the outside and give a much larger picture of the sort of universe of skills. When we've talked to leaders, um, they have effectively used both of them. So in some organizations, you need a taxonomy or a taxonomy is what the organization can basically embrace right now. Whereas in others who are thinking much more broadly about skills, they're using ontologies to sort of jumpstart what is gonna make the most sense in their organization. Super clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, man. I'm no, trying no. to make this simple. hundred percent. Hopefully again, <laughs> this is, this is the, this is the kickoff conversation, yeah. giving everyone a sense of kind of where, where are we with your understanding, given that what you're finding is still, again, we're red lighting so far, a lot of yeah. the concepts. So clearly, again, people still figuring this out. These are the types of conversations we got to have. Let's Can quickly caveat that though, before you move on, yeah. like I want to yeah. caveat that because I'm, almost everything that you're going to ask me is going to be a red light broadly, because this is one area where I just really don't think you can cheat off your neighbor. You know what I mean? There's no industry standard for skills and there likely never will be an industry standard for skills because what's needed in one organization is completely different than what's needed in another. Um, in order for that and, and countries in the UK or in the, in the EU have tried to sort of say, all right, let's put together a library of all the skills. And it's impossible because new skills are created every day and others drop off. Blah, blah, blah. And so I think it's, it's going to continue to evolve, which means it'll continue to be a red light, but it'll continue to be a brighter and brighter and brighter and more fascinating red light. <laughs> Still, again, on theme, like it, if anyone, <laughs> anyone's looking for, like, what's the takeaway, like the walkaway insight that you're going to get from this conversation? I think you just got it. So don't turn off yet, though. We still have other things. <laughs> that's that's the moment. I'm right still going to say it post. depends a lot. Write so, the blog yeah. post about what, what Danny just said <laughs> as a follow-up. So the next one I want to hit quickly is uh, recommendations. So mm -hmm. taking kind of skills, data, and understanding mm -hmm. of people's capability and using it to make better recommendations, including uh, what people focus on from a learning and development perspective. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably a yellow light. Um, can I, can I say yellow? You can. Uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> I think this is probably a yellow light. And this is largely driven as well by the, the tech vendors. So tech vendors were sort of first to the skills data and they're also first to using the skills data. Initially skills data was, you know, here's a dashboard of all the skills in your organization and that still exists and that can still be important. Um, but the value in focusing on skills at all is skills for a reason, right? We, we need skills to determine what people need 
to learn and grow and develop. We need skills to understand all the things. And so, so technology is taking this skills data and providing, for example, very personalized learning experiences for people. We used to have to depend on personas, grouping people, no matter how granular, grouping them into buckets in order to provide them certain things. Now we can look at their aspirations and their career history and their education history <clears throat> and determine, you know, based on those things, what, what would be valuable things, what would be valuable skills for them to learn? How can they do it better? Let's take it from the kind of personalized level of supporting individuals in their development to kind of the organizational workforce planning piece with skill marketplaces. So okay. how, how advanced is this part of the conversation where organizations are strategically making decisions about their workforce, you know, talent, mobility, hiring, recruitment, those types of practices using skill data? Right. Um, yeah, red, bright red. I, I think um, we saw some super good examples during the pandemic when, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So we saw, you know, some really good stories, T-Mobile being one of them, where they's like, they said, no more retail people, let's shift those people into something where they have most of the major skills in order to be able to do it. Um, that That is fantastic. But in almost all of the situations where we've seen that, it has been sort of a one-time sort of plow through this, figure it out for this group of people right this second. It hasn't necessarily been a continuous sort of flow of information that helps people better plan yet. Um, I think it will be. I think there's the ability, particularly with the use of talent marketplaces, as you mentioned, because data flows more quickly there. If you think about how often somebody changes a job, that change the job moment is kind of when you determine what skills they had previously and if they have the skills for the next one. And so that's the point. But that's every two years or, you know, 10 months, <laughs> depending on, you know, when, where, what point we're looking on in history. But if you think about talent marketplaces where the gigs are smaller, they're anywhere from, you know, five days to three months. And if you think about learning the same thing, um, there are more data points that give us more information about what's going on in the organization that provide a, a bigger, more complete view of the skills that we have and where people can go and where they want to go. Absolutely. And kind of connected to that last one, I want to get your, your thoughts on, uh, you mentioned the very beginning of our conversation, this idea of skills versus jobs. So organizations changing the way they structure work around skill, as opposed to around job title and role. How advanced yeah. do you think we are? There right. We're seeing? Bright red. Um, bright red. And the reason is because think of all the systems that we have in place that support jobs. We have unions that support jobs. We have heads within departments that support jobs. So our financial system supports jobs. Our performance ratings support jobs. Everything is right now built around this idea of jobs. We did a telemobility study a year and a half ago, and every single every single organization that we talked to basically said, "Hey, we're doing you know we're focusing on skills and we're working on a talent um, economy or a talent marketplace because we want to provide people opportunities to learn and grow." but it still has to overlay what's already there. We're not going to mess with this, the structure that's currently in place. Gotcha. So bright red, a lot of room to grow. Bright red, Hope, lots of room. Hopefully these insights, again, give everyone out there a bit of a sense of where the conversation is as compared to where you are exploring this concept of skill within your organization. I have one more question I want to ask before we let you okay. go. What additional steps would you recommend given the kind of clear as mud nature of some of this conversation? So besides watching this show every two weeks, sure. what should L&D, HR, performance professionals do to better understand the potential for this type of approach or mindset within their business? 
Yeah. So the reason that we started this is because I we Station and I were both very interested in this topic. We ended up talking to 25 professionals that are doing some really interesting things in their organization. And so if you're thinking about looking into this and you don't know which direction to go, I would start with the podcast that you mentioned, Skills Obsession, and then go to Skills Odyssey 1 and Skills Odyssey 2, because they do provide like real live case studies of people actually doing this. The other thing uh, that we're working on right now that should come out in about a month is a framework for thinking about this. What we have understood is that there's not a framework for skills, like here's your framework for skills, just do these things and you'll be fine. Um, but there is a framework for the types of things that you need to think about if you're moving towards skills. So it's a, like a, lo a, a lower level, but a, a very important sort of look into how do you think about technology? How do you think about org structure? How do you think about all of the data? How do you think about all the things that go into making something like this work in an organization? So I would start with those two things. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and we'll, we'll let you know when that piece comes out. Danny, thank you again so much on your My vacation, <laughs> having a conversation about a grand vision for the yeah. future of the workplace. Thank you so much for your time. Sure you mentioned if people want to learn more, uh, can you tell them uh, where to find you online? Yeah, LinkedIn, I'm everywhere, uh, as well as uh, Red Thread Research, www.redthreadresearch.com. Awesome. Thanks again to Danny for sharing her insights today into skills-based talent strategies. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to check us out and give us a follow on LinkedIn. You can also check out the entire collection of past In The Know episodes on the Exonify YouTube channel. And if audio is more your thing, because you're going to go check out Danny and Red Thread Skills Obsession podcast right after you're here uh, done with us today, you can also listen to the podcast version of In The Know with Exonify on your favorite podcast app. We're heading into the fall, and that can only mean one thing. It's event season. There are lots of conferences, both in person and online on the calendar, and we want to help you spend your development dollars in the best way possible. So we've invited David Kelly, CEO of the Learning Guild, to join us in two weeks to talk about the evolution of industry events. David's going to share his insights into the conference landscape and give us a scoop on the upcoming Learning 2022 and DevLearn events. So join us on Wednesday, September 14th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern for a special visit from David Kelly. Until then, I've been JD. Now you're in the know. And always remember to ask yourself the important questions. Like when you're at a sporting event, why do they call the spectator area the stands if everyone's sitting down? I'll see you next time.